Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Let's stand up and please open your Bibles again to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Again, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. This morning, Pastor Bruce, as he mentioned, is concluding his series on answering life's toughest questions from Habakkuk. And again, this morning's focus of questioning will be, will I get through this? And follow along again as I read again Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shaganoth. O Lord, have I heard your speech and was afraid? O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like a light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. The everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went as the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for your salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. You thrust through with your own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting in the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When, my, when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high heels. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Father in heaven, thank you that you are here in this house with us today, Lord. We praise you as you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, you are a God of justice, love, and mercy. We turn to you for questions of life, Father. Reveal yourself to us this morning as we seek to understand how to get through these challenges and trials in our lives. May we be encouraged as we hear your word preached. We ask your spirit be upon Pastor Bruce as he concludes this series of answering tough questions in life that your word reveals to us through this morning, through the preaching of this word. Be with him this morning and may we have hearts that are ready to hear from you in a very special way. We thank you for this time together in your name. Amen. Thank you, Randy, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. Before we begin, I want to do something I normally don't do a whole lot from the, from the stage here. And that is I just want to publicly uh, acknowledge my wife and praise my wife. And you're like, why? Why would you do that? Well, she deserves it, believe me. Uh, any, any woman who can live with me, tolerate me for 23 years is worthy of praise. And uh, today is our anniversary. <laughs> Married 23 years, and uh, really all the praise goes to her. And uh, again, darling, I want you to know I love you, and you are a, one of those rare jewels, as the Proverbs talk about. Uh, a man who finds that is very blessed, and I'm a blessed man. And I just want you all to know that. And most of all, I want my wife to know that. So, anyways, as we conclude our series here this morning, a series we've been calling Answering Life's Toughest Questions, from this little minor prophet book of Habakkuk, we want to answer this question, our final question, will I get through this? You know, a lot of times when we're going through a difficult time, when we're going through a valley in life, when we're facing uh, just difficulties in life, the question that kind of is in our minds, the question that's often on, the, on our tongues and it flows out of our mouths even, is will I get through this? When we're in the valley, our problems can seem so big and we wonder what's going to happen. Will I get through this? But consider this with me for a moment. Do you realize there are over 7 billion people in the world today, and God sovereignly allows, even ordains, everyone to go through difficulties in different amounts, in different seasons, and for different reasons. So what then separates us as Christ followers from the rest of the world who's going through difficulties what makes the difference? What separates us? Well, when going through life's difficulties, what separates us from the rest of the world is, is not necessarily what we go through, or even when we go through it, but it's really about how we handle it, how we face it, 
how we respond to it. So tell me, how should I handle it? Well, I'm glad you asked. And that's what Habakkuk is going to show us. In chapter 3 here, that Randy read for us, Habakkuk basically begins to move from his questions that we looked at in the first two chapters, his questions before God, and he moves from his questions before God to praising God. And he models something for us that is very incredible. And hopefully, by the, by the time we're done with this message here this morning, you'll be able to answer our question, will I get through this, with a very positive outlook, a positive answer for yourself. But before we get into it, here's, here's a quick review of what we've seen so far in, in Habakkuk's spiritual journey. Because if you remember from our first lesson, this, while this is a, a book that he writes, a minor prophet book. It's really his own personal faith journey with God. And he's kind of opening up his heart before God. And as he does so, God records this for us, for us to kind of learn from it, to learn from his experience. And so in chapter 1, Habakkuk is worrying. He's wondering, where is God when I need him? And God's answer to him is, I am working. I'm working even when you don't see it. Well, that caused Habakkuk to, to, to raise a second question, and that was, God, are you really being fair? I know you're working now, but are you fair with that? And God's answer really wasn't an answer that he wanted. It was really, yes, I'm fair, and so trust me. You just got to trust me about this. In chapter 2, Habakkuk is, is waiting. He's watching. He goes up onto the watchtower, the rampart, to see if God would answer his questions, his third question, does God leave sin unpunished? And God did, with five woes of judgment on the proud, that is, people who, who trust in themselves instead of trusting in God. And in chapter 3 here, we find Habakkuk worshiping the Lord as he now moves from a, a place of questioning confusion within his heart about God to a place of quiet confidence in God. In other words, Habakkuk, when you look at his questions in chapters 1 and 2 to where he is now here in chapter 3, he is moving, and he has moved. He goes from, where is God when I need him to? Whoa, man, there's God. And he is awesome. And he is, he is just in awe of God. And that's what we're going to walk away with, hopefully. Now, this is amazing. So what made the difference in his life? What took Habakkuk from the, the valley in chapters 1 and 2 to the mountaintop here in chapter 3? Because we know that his circumstances didn't change. And normally when we're in the valley, when we're facing life's difficulties, what do we want to change? Oh, God, change my yeah, change my life, change the people around me, change my circumstances around me. But for Habakkuk, none of that changed. Instead, Habakkuk began to change. And I believe this is the place where we all need to come to as well if we will do what Habakkuk did. He's like, well, what did Habakkuk do here in chapter 3? Basically, he makes three shifts in his heart, his mind, his outlook, or his focus. He shifts, and he makes three of them. And if we want to come to the place where Habakkuk is in this final chapter, we've got to make these three, same three shifts within ourselves as well. So let's look at them. Shift number one is this. Shift your focus from complaining to praying. 
shift your focus from complaining to praying. Notice what it says here in verse 1. We're in Habakkuk chapter 3. It says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shiganah. Shiganah. Now I'm sure everyone here knows what that means. Raise your hand. That's what I thought. When I first read this, I was like, what in the world is that? So I looked it up, and I discovered that Shiganah is A, an ancient Jewish dance. So Jewish young men would ask other Jewish young ladies, hey, do you want to go to the Shiganah with me? Or it was, let her be, a Jewish recipe for lamb chops that was prepared during Jewish holidays. Or let her see, no one has a clue what it is. And the correct answer is C. No one really knows the precise meaning of this particular word. What most scholars think it is, is a musical notation in that the Israelites sang this prayer of Habakkuk in the temple as a form of worship before God. Now, regardless of what this may mean, this particular word, I want you to take note that the first thing Habakkuk did to get through his difficult season of life is he shifts. He shifts from complaining to God to praying to God. You're probably thinking prayer. Man, that's hard. Yeah, you're right. Praying is hard work. And sometimes prayer can be very hard work. But thankfully, Habakkuk here, he gives us some insights on how to kind of fire up our prayer lives. And I don't know any of us who doesn't need some firing up in our prayer life. And if you're wondering what to pray, I mean, how many of you, when you go to pray, you're like, uh, you start out and you're like, ah, you know, it just kind of meanders. It wanders. You're like, I don't, you know, I want to pray, but I don't know what to pray. Well, we learn from Habakkuk here three things to pray for. He gives us some insights on what specifically to pray for. So if you're here this morning, you're wondering, man, sometimes I don't know what to pray for. Learn from Habakkuk. Here's some things to pray for. Number one, pray for reverence for God's word. Now, I would suggest we pray for this, first of all, for our own lives, that we would have reverence for God's word, but also pray this for your family. Man, Lord, please grab a hold of Jack's life and Tyler's life that they would revere God's Word. They would uphold God's Word. They would have reverence for it and obey it and follow it. You could pray that for your family. You pray that for our church family, for everyone. Pray for yourself. Habakkuk starts his prayer in verse 2 with these words, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. That phrase there, your speech, can also mean report, and it refers to God's answers to Habakkuk's questions where God told him of his plans to use the Babylonians to bring judgment on God's people, specifically Judah. And as you can imagine, that report that God revealed to Habakkuk struck him with fear or awe. Then IV translation captures the meaning well when it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And how do we hear about God today? How do we learn about God today? Well, primarily we hear about God through what? His Word. That's how we hear about God. That's how we know more about God. 
You put all this together and we have God's report. And what was Habakkuk's response to God's report to him specifically? Notice it again in verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard your speech or your report, and I was afraid. In other words, fear, reverence. Look over in verse 16. As Habakkuk breaks down his fear when he says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Whose voice? God's voice speaking to him. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself. Habakkuk is basically saying something like this. God, you are shaking me to the core of who I am with what you're telling me about who you are and what you're going to do and how you're going to use the Babylonians to judge your people, the Israelites, that he was a part of. Now remember, we're learning something here about prayer. And as long as our prayers consist of just kind of ramble babbling something to the man upstairs, they'll never be very significant. They'll never carry much weight and meaning to them. Habakkuk is teaching us something about reverence for God. To approach God with respect. To come before Him carefully and humbly because of who he is. Habakkuk is ridding his heart of all anxiety, all stress with the time of prayer. And part of that prayer is praying to God as he has revealed himself to be. A God who's to be feared. It's not a bad fear, it's a reverent fear. It's not a fear like you're watching a horror movie in fear. No, no, no. It's a fear that God is a mighty God, but he's also a God of mercy and love. But I fear him with respect and reverence because he's my creator. Second of all, we just don't pray for reverence for God's word. We want to pray for revival of God's work. Pray for revival of God's work. We see this in verse 2. Look at it with me. Habakkuk writes, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Now, here's what's going on here. Let me give you the context. Habakkuk sees himself in the middle of Israel's history. And he's now kind of looking back on that history, and he's thinking about some of God's mighty works on behalf of his people, such as when God used Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt. When God parted the Red Sea and the people crossed over on dry ground and then God miraculously did that again when they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground and they crossed over into the Promised Land. And when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down after they marched around the city for seven days. You, some of you may remember those stories in the Old Testament. The mighty works of God. And he's reflecting on that. Habakkuk is thinking to himself, God, I've heard of all these mighty works and then some. And if you can do that in the past, why surely you can do that again today. Surely you can do the same thing today. Do you know what this means? It means the obvious cry of us as believers here today should be, Lord, please do it again in our day. Lord, do it again. I don't, I don't want to be uh, the person who's just heard about your mighty works in another time, in another 
bygone era. I want to be alive when you do some of your greatest works today. Isn't that a great prayer to pray to our God? Habakkuk is praying, in essence, for revival of his work. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And what? Habakkuk says, revive your work in our day. Today, listen, in our time, make them known again. Now, I mean, this speaks to my heart. And I would challenge all of us that this is something that needs to be part of our prayer life. Praying for the revival of God's work today. Let's be honest, so much of our prayers are, well, can I be blatantly honest? They're just kind of selfish in nature, are they not? So much of our prayers, they're, 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 I call them me prayers, consisting of what we want. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with bringing those requests before our God, our, our own personal needs. But if that's all our prayers consist of, that are focused on us, then something is wrong. We need to shift the focus of our prayers. Sometimes we just need to shift them off of ourselves selfishly and shift them onto God's kingdom and God's people and the accomplishment of His mission in our lives, through our lives. God, do your work through me, in me. Use me to bless other people. Use me to share the gospel with those who don't know you. Try praying that for five minutes. And let me tell you, you'll be shocked at how all of a sudden your problems just kind of shrink in comparison to what you're praying. God, may your kingdom increase. May your mission be accomplished through me and our church and all across the world. May God revive your work. So pray for a reverence for God's word. Pray for a revival of his work. And number three, pray for relief. Pray for relief from God's wrath. Notice the conclusion of Habakkuk's prayer at the end of verse 2. He says, in wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Habakkuk knows that our God is a God of infinite holiness. He's a God of perfect justice. And to say that God is repulsed by sin is a huge understatement. Habakkuk had been looking at the sinful lifestyles of, of God's very people. And he knew God's wrath was coming, and so he begged that God would remember mercy on his people. In essence, he prays, Lord, do not give us what we deserve. Lord, show mercy in your judgment on us. And oh, how we need to pray this prayer as well for ourselves, our churches, our country. Lord, show us mercy. Do not give us what we deserve. Folks, let me tell you, if God gave us what we deserve, we would not... Oh, it would be bad. Lord, show us mercy. Show us mercy. And thankfully, God is a God of mercy. But he's also a God who is just. And he's repulsed by our sinfulness. But because of his mercy and through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection, what can we now do? We can now approach our God, and on behalf of Jesus Christ, we can beseech our God to forgive us of our sins. And what does God promise to do? To show us mercy and forgive us of our sins. What a glorious God we have, do we not? The third, the question is, will I get through this? Yes, if you will shift your focus from complaining to praying like Habakkuk did. The second shift we need to make 
is to shift your focus from questioning to pondering. As we've already learned from Habakkuk, folks, listen to me. There is a time, there's always a time to bring our questions before God. And who does not have questions? We all have questions. God is not threatened by our questions. God is not opposed to our questions. God opens his arms for us to bring our questions before him. That doesn't necessarily mean that God will always answer the questions the way we want. We learned this in the first message. Sometimes God delays in answering the questions we have. Most of the time, he answers those questions through his word. And we just need to look at his word and study his word, hear his word, and apply it to our lives. And so there's a time for, for bringing our heart aching questions before God, but there also comes a time when we just need to shift from questioning God to pondering His greatness. Pondering. That's a word we don't use a lot of times. Pondering simply means thinking about something carefully over a period of time. And in this case, it means meditating on the greatness of God. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is a lost art, a lost habit among Christians today, especially in our American culture. Pondering. Other, sometimes known as meditating. Why? Because we're so busy, busy pondering all the other stuff in our lives that God gets crowded out of our thoughts. I mean, if you're a mom, how can you not help that, right? I think of my own wife in this. The way her day starts and the way it ends and everything in between. And life is just full in our American culture. We wake up and our first thoughts are, what do I got to do today? We go through a list of all the things we got to do. We got to do this. I got to take the kids here, blah, 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 blah. And it seems like it's never ending. And that's in so much time, that is what we meditate on. That's what we ponder on. All the stuff, and if we're not pondering on what we have to do, then we ponder on the things we want to do. The things we want in life. And we think about, boy, if I could get this raise, if I could get that, I could buy that, I could do this, I could take that vacation, I could take our dreams, if you will, our goals, our fascinations, our satisfactions. That's what we ponder about. We ponder on the things that are temporary. And Habakkuk is showing us here that we need to shift our pondering from the temporary to the eternal, and most of all, to God eternal. And ponder on the greatness of our God, how holy he is, how awesome he is. And may I remind you that's oftentimes one of the reasons why God ordains difficult circumstances in our lives. So that we will now set aside all that other stuff that is temporary, and ponder his greatness. So just as Habakkuk did, let's ponder the greatness of God here in verses 3 through 15. Notice what it says in verse 3. It says, God came from Tinman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, I, you're going to get a history lesson here. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, boring no, please don't think that. There's much to be learned in history, folks. Ask that guy right there. Zach, he's a history teacher. 
And there's much to be learned in the history of our God and how he works because we see his greatness in his past workings. And that's what Habakkuk is going to review for us here. So listen up. Pay attention. Look at this. Tenman and Paran. You're like, What's, what is that? Where is that? Well, Tenman and Mount Paran describe the campsite of the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. In other words, the significance is it was the staging areas for the conquest of the promised land for God's people, the Israelites. It's a, what Habakkuk doing, he is picturing a, a God as getting ready to go into the promised land before his people and conquer for his people as a mighty warrior. That's cool. And then the rest of these verses, what we see here is the history of that. Habakkuk sees this, not literally, but he's reviewing it kind of through a vision as he's going to see God for who he really is. Now, this is a vision. This is what we need to see so desperately in our own lives. We need to see the greatness of God. Why? Because everything kind of falls into place when we see God for who he really is. So let's ponder Habakkuk's vision of God's greatness. First of all, God came in splendor. Habakkuk says he came in splendor. Notice the first two words in verse 3. What are they? Verse 3, look at it in your Bibles. First two words in verse 3. It says, God, God what? Came. Now what else do we need to know except that? God came. Nothing is the, the answer. We don't need to know really a whole lot more than that. Everything good flows from those two words. Think about this with me. If God had not come through His Son, Jesus Christ, there would be no cross. There would be no atonement for sin. There would be no resurrection. There would be no forgiveness of sin. There would be no eternal life. It all starts with those two words, God came. That's good news. In fact, why don't we say it out loud together on the count of three. One, two, three. God came. Let's say it again. God came. Listen, all throughout history, God has shown himself. God has come in different facets and forms, on behalf of his people. And ultimately, God came on behalf of the world through his son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God came for his chosen people, the Israelites. And in particular, Habakkuk's reviewing when God came there at Mount Sinai. We kind of know it as the Ten Commandment time frame. And then later on, the staging area for the conquest of, of the promised land. And how did God come in that case, especially in the Ten Commandment time period? Listen, He came in splendor. He came in glory and in majesty. It says in verses 3 and 4, look at it with me. God came from Tenmen, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand. Think of the most amazing display of lightning you've ever seen, and it's only a fraction of what Habakkuk saw here. Verse 4 continues. And there His power was hidden. The few times when God has revealed Himself, it's only been a little peak. You say, why is that? Because no man can see God and live. That's how awesome He is. Verse 5 says, before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. 
This is a reference to the ten plagues of Egypt. If you've seen the Ten Commandments movie, you, you know the ten plagues. Or it might even include the various judgments God sent on Israel when they disobeyed him. And what was the consequence? Israel had to wander in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember that? Had to wait for those, that generation to die off because of their disobedience to God. And so God came in splendor here, Habakkuk says. Number two, God stood in power. Notice how the entire universe responds in fear at the approach of Almighty God in verses 6 and 7. In verse 6 it says, He stood and He measured the earth. And you're like, yeah, big deal. No, that's a very big deal. You're like, why is that such a big deal? Get, think with it, think with it. To measure something, to measure something is an indication that it's yours and that you can do with it as you please. Women, you measure out cup of milk for baking, flour, you're in control in a sense. Guys, you measure two by four to cut, you're in control. You do with it as you please. You measured it. You're the one in acting. It's the same idea here. Verse 6 continues. He looked and startled the nations. He looked. How many of your mothers had a look? My mom had a look that sent fear through us three boys. We'd be sitting right over there when I was growing up in this church as junior hires like they, my son is now. And I'd be talking like Jack is now, not paying attention like he is now. Glance back and my mom would be staring at us. Look. My wife has that look now. She gives it to our boys, and then she gives it to me. <laughs> Verses 6 and 7, look what it, he continues. And the everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills bowed. His ways were everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. In other words... Get this, here's the idea what Habakkuk is saying. We stand in all the Rocky Mountains, don't we? How can you not? They're majestic. But get this, the mountains stand in awe of God. So, God came in splendor. God stood in power. Number three, God marched in victory. In verses 8 through 15, Habakkuk uses vivid imagery to describe Israel's march through the wilderness as they followed the Lord to the promised land. In verse 8 it says, O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? No. Listen, God's not upset with His creation. He's upset with humanity and our sinful choices. And the rivers and sea is a reference to the parting of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And horses and chariots are symbolic descriptions of God defeating the enemy that was against Him. He continues in verse 9. He says, Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. And this pictures the various battles that the Israelites fought en route to the promised land. Battles that the Lord had won for them. Verse 10. Speaking of God, still Habakkuk says, You divide the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. 
the deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. In other words, Habakkuk is showing us here that God is in complete control of land and water and used his creation even to defeat the Canaanites as Israel moved into the promised land. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their habitation. Amazing. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You know what that's a reference to? That is referring to God's miracle in Joshua 10. You can read about it. When, get this, there was a day in history when the sun and moon stood still. Giving Joshua more time for total victory over his enemies. That's how awesome our God is. Right? In verses 12 through 15, Habakkuk here ponders God's past deliverance in the Exodus and God's future deliverance for the Babylonians. And what he does is he uses God's past victory now to encourage the people to expect new victory. Verse 12 says, you march through the land in indignation. You trample the nations in anger. Here God is portrayed as a warrior marching in victory. Verse 13 says, you went forth for the salvation of your people. Lord, for the salvation of your anointed. In that phrase, your anointed, it may refer to God's chosen people or it may actually refer to God's chosen son, his son Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, it says, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. In other words, striking the head is symbolic of total and complete victory. Verses 14 through 15 says, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. What an awesome God we have. Ponder him. In fact, it's interesting. Did you notice the word Selah throughout these verses? Selah is a musical term that means to pause. And in this context here, it means that we should pause. Why? Why, did, why should we pause? So we can watch TV? <laughs> no. We don't pause so we can go get a, 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 ref, a refill on our drinks while we're watching a movie. That's what we think of, pause. I pause the movie so I can get a refill, right? No, the term, the reason we pause here is to ponder and meditate on the greatness of God. That's what this term is here for. The thing that lifted Habakkuk out of the valley into the mountaintops was his understanding of the greatness of God. And so, folks, listen, if you're here this morning, if you find yourself in a valley of depression, of discouragement, of difficulty, whatever it is, and you're asking, man, will I ever get through this? Will I make it to the other end? Don't let the greatness of God just pass you by. Stop and ponder his greatness and let it impact your life. Let it lift you up out of the valley into the mountaintop. Listen, I, I, I've learned this even through my own personal experience. When I became the pastor here way back in 2003, tough years, 2003, 2004, even into 05. And there were days of discouragement. And the thing I did in my quiet time is I simply focused on who God 
is. And how I did that was just in my devotional time, just reading about, in the Old Testament specifically, who God is through the names of God. Because when you read the Old Testament, you come to these names of God and what he's doing, like we just see, what Habakkuk reviewed. And all of a sudden, your perspective is, whoa, man, we serve a mighty God here. And if he can do that for his people then, man, he can do some good, awesome things for his people today. And I'm part of his people through Jesus Christ and my union with him. Listen, don't let the greatness of God pass you by. Take time to ponder on him. Will I get through this? Yes, if you will shift your focus from questioning God to pondering God's greatness. And that brings us to our third shift. Shift your focus from worrying to praising. From worrying to praising. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to begin a testimony of praise with the words, I praise God because of. I praise God because of, such as, I praise God because of the new job I found. I'm making more money now so I can afford to buy that new car now. I praise God. Or I praise God because of the tax refund I got instead of having to pay taxes or more taxes because we all pay taxes. Or I praise God because of the great vacation we enjoyed at the beach. Or I praise God because we're getting ready to go on vacation this summer. I praise God because my wife loves me. I praise God because my kids are well-behaved. They graduated. They made it to another grade. Yay! I praise God. Don't get me wrong. Listen, we should praise God for his goodness. But our praise should go beyond, I praise God because of, to I praise God in spite of. Such as, I praise God in spite of losing my job to layoffs. When I thought I was going to get a pay increase. I praise God in spite of that. I praise God in spite of not getting a tax refund and finding out I owe more taxes. I praise God in spite of that. I praise God in spite of the news from the doctor that I now have cancer. I praise God in spite of the fact that my spouse does not love me and is cheating on me. I praise God in spite of the fact that my coworker is harassing me. I praise God in spite of and fill in the own blank. Listen, the righteous don't live by what they see with their eyes, but what they know in their hearts. They live by faith, and living by faith doesn't mean that we always know the answers to our questions, or that we know the reasons, or we understand the events, or we like the consequences of the situations we're in, but it does mean we have a willingness to say God is in control. And I am going to trust him no matter what. So how do you know that you've shifted from worrying to praising? Well, you know that when you can say three things. Number one, when you can say, I will rest in the Lord. Look what Habakkuk says in verse 16. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. If Habakkuk had depended on his feelings, he would have never shifted from worrying about the Babylonians coming invasion to praising God. When Habakkuk looked ahead, what did he see? 
Man, he saw his nation heading for judgment. When he looked within himself, he saw himself trembling with fear. And when he looked around his world, he saw everything was just kind of falling apart. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God and all his fears vanished. Listen, one of the marks of faith is a willingness to rest in the Lord. Habakkuk could rest in the Lord because he knew that God was at work. And he said, yeah, but where is God when I need him? Remember, God is working even when I can't see it. Even when it doesn't seem like God is working, he is working. No matter what you see, no matter how you feel, you don't have to feel or you don't have to fall apart in life. Instead, you can praise God and you can say within your heart, I will rest in him. Second, you say, I will rejoice in the Lord. Notice what Habakkuk says in verse 17. He says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. Habakkuk has just gone through every major food group in the Middle East. And you know what he's saying? There is none. As a result of the Babylonian invasion, there's no food from the fields and there's no food from the flocks, he's saying. It's the equivalent of us today saying, I've lost my house, I've lost my car, I've lost my family, I've lost my job, and I don't even have enough money to buy a Happy Meal at McDonald's. In other words, I've had a bad week. But notice what Habakkuk says next in verse 18. Because it's stunning. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You see, even though Habakkuk couldn't rejoice in his circumstances, he could rejoice in his God. And although his lips were trembling and his legs were shaking, he burst into song and he praised his God. But did you notice Habakkuk says, I will rejoice. It's a decision. I will do this, not if I feel like it, not if I get around to it. It's I will do this. I'm choosing to do this. Also notice Habakkuk says, I, I, I will rejoice. His decision is not dependent on other people. Habakkuk is saying, I'm not sure if my dad is going to do this. I'm not sure if my wife is going to do this. I'm not sure if my friends are going to do this. But you know what? I'm going to do this doesn't matter what they decide to do. I'm going to make sure in the midst of my situation, no matter how difficult it is, there is always a word of praise on my lips because I trust my God. Listen, we all need to come to a place like this, right? And if we don't come to a place on our own, this place, let me tell you, God will bring us to that place where you can say, no matter how hot the furnace gets, I trust God and I will rejoice in the Lord. Number three, Habakkuk says, and we need to say, I will rely on the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Deer's feet. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? Well, deer's feet speaks of agility and swiftness. And signifies sure-footed confidence. High hills speak of the mountaintops where the deer are free from the dangers that are found below. 
So in other words, Habakkuk is telling us that as a sure-footed deer scales up the mountaintops without slipping, so his faith in the Lord enabled him to rise above his circumstances and to praise God in spite of it all. Now just think with me for a moment. We're almost done. What Habakkuk has been through. He's been through a lot. But through his faith in God, he has shifted his focus from complaining to praying, from questioning to pondering, and now from worrying to praising. He's like, God, when I see life from, from your perspective, everything seems so clear and so right, I can trust you. And I'm going to praise you no matter what. Now, if you wonder if you're at that place in your life, this is where we need to be. No matter what Habakkuk faced, he was confident he would remain standing because he trusted in God as his strength. And whatever circumstances you're facing now, whatever circumstances may come your way, Habakkuk calls on you to do the same, to praise the Lord and to live by faith in a mighty God. Habakkuk's question was, will I get through this? And we've all asked that question. And if you haven't yet, I promise you will. And Habakkuk's answer through his own actions is this. Yes, when you shift your focus on God. Well, the final words of the book are, notice, to the chief musician with stringed instruments. So this chapter is not only a prayer chapter. It's also a praise song. Evidently, Habakkuk meant for his prayer here in chapter 3 to be sung among the people of God. And so here's the lesson of hope to take away from this. Are you ready for it? Coming up on the screen. You can turn what's wrong into a song. How do you like that? You can turn what's wrong into a song. You say, how? Choose to embrace God instead of becoming embittered with God. Listen, that's what living by faith is all about. Though I don't get the job I want, though I'm not healed, though my kid does not behave, though I cannot pay the bills, though my marriage is hard, even if my worst case scenario occurs or is worse than I think, I will choose to embrace God and trust Him. And remember, Habakkuk says he will do more than just grin and bear it. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And that means I will find strength in God, hope in God, and peace with God. Listen, will you walk with Habakkuk? Will you journey with him in your own personal life? Listen, we all go through these seasons like Habakkuk. But in the end, he is praising God in song. And through this prayer, the people of God worship God. And that's how I want us to end here this morning. Bill, in the praise team, I ask you guys to come on up and the instrumentalist. And what we're going to do is we're, we're going to sing. We're going to praise God in song. And I hope through this message that you will unite your voices and your heart together in praising God because we serve an awesome God, a mighty God who came in splendor for us and came through His Son, Jesus Christ, to make this all possible in our lives. Will you stand with me this morning? And let's sing a song together in response to what we've heard. Greatness of you. We're going to sing that song again. Not all of it. Verses in the chorus.